The Old Testament reading for this, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Habakkuk, the first and second chapters. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will see to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And this is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, 
Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There was a TV show a while back where a doctor was treating a man who was on the brink of death. After days of reading lab results and doing research and poring over everything, the doctor finally discovered what the issue was and was able to successfully treat the man and quickly restored him to full health. The doctor wheeled him to the exit for his discharge. The patient stood up, turned to the doctor, and tersely said, Have a good day and walked out of the hospital without looking back. The doctor was absolutely incensed that the patient whose life he had saved didn't even thank him as he left the hospital. In fact, the doctor obsesses so much over this that he winds up breaking into the patient's house to confront him about it. And after surviving the emu attack, did I mention the show is a comedy? The doctor demands to know why he didn't even get a thank you after pulling this man back from the brink of death. The patient, in turn, asks the doctor how often he thanks his garbage man for picking up the trash. Well, that's his job, the doctor says. Why should I thank him? And that was the patient's point. It was the doctor's job to save lives. That's simply what's expected of him. So why should he be expecting a big thank you from everyone for doing his job? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't thank our doctors when they do their jobs well and save lives. In fact, we should be very grateful to all the people who work hard so that we can enjoy life as much as we do. Thank your military. Thank your police officers, your road construction workers, your garbage man, your linemen. Give thanks for and to all the people willing to do the hard jobs that we'd rather not, and for those who are skilled and trained to do the jobs that we can't. What I am saying is that as Christians, sometimes we're like that emu-weary doctor, aren't we? We get to thinking that just because of the way we live our lives, because of the sacrifices that we make, 
Because of the effort that we put in to be Christians in a wicked and sinful world, that we deserve something special, some kind of a big pat on the back, some kind of a reward from God. And so the words of Jesus Christ in our gospel lesson today really hurt. He says we shouldn't be expecting anything like that for our actions, but rather we should simply say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And to that, our sinful nature screams. What do you mean? After all that I've done, after all that I've given up, what do you mean that there's no reward? In this age of entitlement, we think we deserve heaven for all of the good things that we've done. We think God owes us something because of how good we have been, how good we are at obeying his word. We avoid sin when it is so prevalent around us, when the rest of the world is doing it, when by avoiding sin and not doing what the world is doing, we set ourselves apart and set ourselves up for mockery and strife. We suffer for our faith as we refuse to take part in the ways of the world, as the world attacks us and calls us bigots and hateful and outdated people who need to get with the times rather than stick with our stuffy old values and, and virtues. We speak God's word in a world that hates to hear God's word. In a world that says that everybody's truth is relative, we stand firm and say this is the truth and the only truth. And for that, we suffer. And so, after all that hard work, after putting in the effort that it takes to be a Christian, after walking the straight and narrow path that God has laid before us, we assume that our hard work is worth far more than just even a simple thank you. That we should get not only heaven, but all sorts of earthly rewards as well. God should be filling up our bank accounts in gratitude for how good of a spokesperson we are for him. God should be filling our lives with ease and luxury and good health because we and we alone are fighting the good fight. We are standing out there on the front lines. We are holding the line and we deserve something good from the hand of God for doing the work we've been, we've been putting in. But do we really deserve that? I mean, if we're looking to our deeds and we want due rewards... Let's face it, we're in trouble. Yeah, we may avoid some sin, but we still sin much. We still hear the word of God and ignore it. We break God's holy law. We slander, we steal, we commit adultery, we lie, we abuse God's name, we covet, we neglect his word. We want to pat ourselves on the back for the good that we do, but we totally ignore the 99% of the time when we're terrible, rotten sinners who are indistinguishable from the wicked world around us. Even the good deeds that we do, they're tainted by our greed, by our desire for reward and recognition. We'll help our neighbor, but we do so with a trumpet blast, proclaiming to the world, look how good I am and how charitable I am to the people around me. The fact is, we can never do everything that the law requires. 
In our gospel reading today, Jesus gives us three examples that are exceedingly tough in our lives. He says, don't lead anyone else to sin. And that's hard because we love sin and we like to self-justify and we like to tell everyone that the sin that we're doing isn't actually sin because whatever our excuse might be. And by doing so, we lead others to copy and emulate our sin. Then Jesus tells us to forgive those who sin against us. And we don't like to do that because when we have been wronged, we want revenge. We want that person to know that we remember the wrong they committed and they owe us. We will hold that grudge until our dying breath rather than let it go and forgive. And then he tells us, don't expect rewards for doing our duty. And we just don't want to hear that. All three of those things that Jesus tells us in our gospel reading today, they run completely counter to our very nature. And we just can't do them properly. We don't do them well in our lives. And that's just three examples. The law of God is vast. It is holy. It is perfect. And we fail it miserably. And so if we're looking for rewards for what we've done, what we deserve is death and punishment and pain and sorrow. We should be glad that we don't get what we've earned because we are terrible, wicked, wretched sinners to the core. We should give thanks that God doesn't reward us according to what we've done because we've done nothing even close to worthy of earning heaven or any kind of a reward here on earth. As Christians, it is simply our duty, our new nature that God has given to us to resist sin, to turn our backs on the wicked ways of this world, to endure suffering for our faith, to want to hear and grow in the word of the Lord. That's just what we do, even as we do it badly. So no, you will not get rich just for being a Christian. You will not have a magical health ticket that keeps you healthy and wealthy and wise throughout your entire life just because of your Christian faith. You will not avoid suffering and temptation and sorrow and pain in this world because of your Christian faith. No, there are no rewards for being a Christian. We simply say we have done our duty. Now, this does not mean, though, that God is our slave master, cracking the whip while we get nothing. He is our loving Heavenly Father, not some tyrant. And so while there are no rewards, there is no payment for whatever we do in this world, there are, however, bountiful gifts from the loving hand of God. A reward, that's something that you get in return for what you've done. A gift is something that is given to you freely without any obligation on your part. Our Heavenly Father does not reward us for our deeds, and for that we give Him thanks each and every day. But He does graciously pour gifts into our lives. He graciously provides all that we need, even though we fail to live out our Christian duties in so many ways. We have plenty of food on the table. We have luxuries that are the envy of many other nations. 
Those who live in poverty in our nation would be considered luxurious in many other countries. The things that we whine about are the things that so many people in the world dream about having. We open up the fridge and we go, man, only leftovers? And there's people in the world starving without a single meal this day. We grumble about another day at work, ignoring the fact that people all over the world have no work, no employment, no income, no possibilities. While we might complain that our house isn't big enough, that we need more storage and more shelves, people all over the world are living day to day with no house at all, no adequate shelter. As we whine about how those shoes that we got this summer aren't as shiny as they once were, there are people in the world who have never known what it's like to wear shoes. When we gripe that the water bill is a little bit high this month, we forget there are people literally thirsting to death because they have no clean water at all. In these and so many other ways, God bountifully provides for our bodily needs, even as we complain about it, even as we say, well, that's not good enough, God. But he gives us these things, not as a reward for being such good people because we're not good people, but he gives them as a gift, even though we don't deserve any gift at all. And while every one of those things is a wonderful blessing, while every one of those is an undeserved gift, they all pale in comparison to the eternal blessings that our Heavenly Father bestows upon our undeserving lives. Our deeds, they're sinful. But Jesus Christ graciously, freely, makes us holy and righteous. He covers us with the robe of his very righteousness, taking his perfection and holiness and laying it upon us to cover us up, to take away our guilt. He washes us in the eternal waters of baptism, making us a new creation, one that is not enslaved to sin and death and the devil any longer, one that declares us to be his beloved child. He feeds and nourishes us with his very body and blood, coming to us on a regular basis through a miracle that we take for granted and complain about and say, it makes the church service too long. He leads us and he guides us and he forgives us through the blessing of his word, which fills our lives in ways that no other generation has had. All of this he does as a gift. All because he loved us enough to suffer in our place, to die for us upon the cross, to come and do the one thing that we could not do for ourselves and that we did not deserve whatsoever. We sinned and he paid the penalty. We broke his law and he placed himself beneath that same law to fulfill it in our place to make us holy and innocent and righteous. He suffered and died and rose again from the grave to take away all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of the things that make us unworthy in his eyes. Our works make us filthy, and they earn us no rewards whatsoever, but his works done in our stead, they make us holy and give us the free gift of everlasting life. By that gift of righteousness, we look forward to the eternal gift of heaven. Gift, not reward. We haven't done a thing to earn it. We have done everything in our power to 
to despise it and push it away. But by grace, through faith, we are given the gift of eternal life. By grace alone, not by anything that we've done, not by anything that we've earned. Our sinful nature doesn't like that. Our sinful nature tries to convince us that we deserve a heavenly reward, that we've earned God's favor through all the good things that we've done. But by the grace of God's word, we know that that's not true. We know that we are unworthy servants, not deserving of any of God's rich blessings. And yet, out of love, by that same word, we know that he pours those blessings into our lives so freely, so abundantly. He provides for all of our needs, even as we whine about not having enough. But moreover, he provides for all of our spiritual needs, giving us forgiveness and faith and salvation. He creates in us a clean heart and gives us the will to be his faithful and humble servants. Not in the hope of earning salvation, but out of gratitude for the free gift of salvation that he has already given to us. For by his grace, with no merit at all on our part, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die and arise again for us, to give us the free gift of eternal life in heaven as he has forgiven all of our sin. For this gracious act of love and mercy that he had no obligation to give us, we sinners give eternal thanks to God. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.